Hello, my friends, our last report from Dubai, but we're not going to talk about Dubai, or at least not that much. We're going to talk about a new poll by Abacus showing Justin Trudeau's behind by 15 points. You'll love to see it. Also talk about how CTV News is trying to handle the uh, uh, pending devastation for their hero. That's ahead. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. Eight bucks a month. Not a lot of dough to you, but a lot to us because it really adds up. And that's how we pay our bills. All right, here's today's show. Sensorious bug. I want to talk to you about some exciting news from Canada. Two stories today that I think uh, play into each other. The first is a poll from Abacus Data. We've talked about them before. I know their pollster, David Coletto, really good guy. I always view their polls with a bit of a note of caution because although David is an honest man, the company is chaired by a die-hard Trudeau liberal. Uh, so that's always made me skeptical of them, except, as I've said before, when Abacus or, say, the New York Times is critical of the left, you know it's really bad because they're always trying to find the best in Trudeau or Joe Biden or whatever. So when Abacus data has bad news for the liberals, you can take it to the bank. Um, they have a new poll, and I want to show you afterwards a story that CTV is doing to help shore things up for the boss. But let me jump right in. Here's the poll here. You can see it on your screen. Conservatives lead by 15 as federal government disapproval jumps four points. Holy moly. If there were an election today, Pierre Polyev would have a majority government, and I don't even know if the Trudeau liberals would be in second. Here, look at this first chart. 41% for the Conservatives, 26 for the Liberals. And what's interesting is that the Green Party is down to just 3%. Now, they've always been fringe, but what that tells me is that people are no longer in luxury mode. They're in recession mode. When everyone's doing well, you can find problems uh, to care about that are sort of fake problems because it's a sign of your class. So if you're very rich, um, and you really have no worries if it's not a problem to pay for your rent and your groceries and your vacations. You have everything. Then just to be fashionable, you can say you really, really deeply care about global warming, even though you jet around. Um, but when you're poor and when you can make rent, all of a sudden those fake issues go away. The Green Party is a fake party. Uh, it's a party for uh, elites who are well-to-do. And we live in a state in Canada right now where we're in a technical recession uh, where rent has doubled and where most people are one paycheck away from not being able to pay their bills. So obviously the Green Party, a luxury party, a party of the PhDs and the university set is only down to 3%. But anyways, I want to talk to you more about the liberals because that's what's most interesting. People are poor. They're worried about housing. They can't pay taxes. By the way, environmentalism is all about taxes, carbon taxes. I, I had to chuckle. I saw today in Blacklocks a story that Stephen Gilbo had an unpaid tax debt for years. He was in cabinet and he hadn't paid his taxes. He only finally caught up on that. What a little grifter. Hey, do you think there's any chance he's going to pay his $20,000 uh, penalty to Rebel News out of his own pocket? Of course not. He's going to take that from taxpayers. Anyways, 
Um, more of the Abacus uh, research poll. Look at this. The regional breakdown here is just amazing. Look at British Columbia. But for the longest time, I thought, well, Vancouver is sort of like uh, San Francisco, very left-wing, very progressive, very environmentalist. Look at, I mean, obviously that would be the liberal stronghold, but look at the province. 52% for the conservatives, just 18% for Trudeau. That is so shocking to me. I really think the turning point for Trudeau in BC was Jody Wilson-Raybould because she was beloved by British Columbians. She was what that province thought of itself as progressive, uh, inclusive, an indigenous woman, uh, highly ethical person. And the way Trudeau chewed her out and spat her up, chewed her up and spat her out, I think that not only offended different groups in BC, but it was a flash of reality when you suddenly see someone for who they are rather than who they pretend to be. And I think that was the moment British Columbia fell out of love with Trudeau. And of course, when you fall out of love after a betrayal, it doesn't go back to dispassion. It goes back to hatred. Love and hate um, can be opposites, just like love and nothing can be. And I think British Columbians hate Justin Trudeau, which is incredible because that used to be one of his bases. Um, liberals are in third place everywhere west of Ontario. I find that utterly amazing. Look at that. In Alberta, just 11% of Albertans support Justin Trudeau. That is, that's almost single digits. That If you ask people how many uh, of them believe in UFOs, you would probably get a larger number. The next chart is fascinating too. My whole life I've been told, well, conservatives have a problem with the gender gap. Look at that. Both men and women prefer the conservatives to Trudeau. Uh, more men prefer it than women do, but both are in the positive. That's incredible. Young people just hate Trudeau. I think partly because they're disillusioned. They see a, a cynical, um, you know, fake, whether they, they see it when they see it. But like I said before, the problem is housing. Uh, if you are in your late 20s or early 30s and you're starting a family and you're trying to buy a house and you're trying to get ahead, you are the least likely people in the country to support Trudeau because you are in real life. If you look at the chart here, the best demographic for Trudeau is university-educated people. He's still not ahead with them. Uh, he's behind 33 to 35. But if you're university-educated, that is shorthand for you're rich, you're privileged, you're in the elite. Not everybody, but that's a good shorthand. And, you know, if, if you are university-educated, it's much more likely that you own your home, uh, that you have no problems paying for groceries, you like virtue signaling because it's a valuable thing to you, and so you love talking about, oh, I don't know, gendered language. Here's Trudeau boasting about gendered language at the recent G20 conference. Did you see this? Hi, what did Canada contribute? Okay. Uh, as always, Canada is a strong voice uh, for inclusion of uh, gender language, uh, inclusion of uh, Indigenous uh, reflections, uh, but all throughout we made sure that countries around the world are focused on growing the economy in inclusive ways, uh, creating opportunity and prosperity for everyone in a more peaceful, more secure world, uh, respect for the rule of law, uh, ambition on fighting climate change. These are all things that Canada pushes for at every summit, among others, uh, and we will continue to. Imagine going to the G20. That's a meeting of the most serious countries in the world. Imagine going there with the, the crisis of affordability in Canada. 
And when you're asked what you contributed, what you achieved, all you have to say is, well, we got gendered language in there. I, I'm, he's so out of touch, it's really sort of sad. Um, and look at the, the net effect here. 57% of Canadians disapprove of Trudeau's government. It's never been this bad. Uh, and look at this related chart, the pool of accessible voters. What that means is people who would consider voting for you. There's some people who would never, ever in a million years ever consider voting for the conservatives or the liberals. But the pool of people who would, in the right circumstances, consider voting for a party, that's what they mean by accessible voters. And look at that. The conservatives have 50% of the country as accessible voters, whereas Trudeau only has 42%. So his ceiling is 42%. If he got every single voter who could possibly vote for him, he'd win again. But what's the odds of that? This is a disaster for Trudeau. I'm enjoying every second of it. But you know who is not enjoying it? You know who has answered the call to come defend him? Well, of course, the regime media. Just check out this story it's in CTV, but it's in other places also. Just a little background. As you know, uh, a few days ago, there was a conservative party convention in Ottawa, and our own Alexa Lavoie was there, and she did a great job. Here's just a brief clip from that where she was interviewing Peter McKay. Here's Alexa and Peter McKay. So you have your opinion about the fact that Mr. Trudeau have just decided to shuffle his whole cabinet. Do you think that this remove a little bit of credibility of this party? I, I do. I, I think when you have that kind of a wholesale shuffle and dismissal of a number of ministers, you know, the person most responsible for having appointed all of those people is basically saying you didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm moving you. And so, therefore, I, I think that the message that that sends to Canadians, if he doesn't have confidence in his own people, why should we? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think there's growing demand and, and growing discontent in the country for the direction that, uh, that this government has led the country, our lack of, of resources uh, going to market, our high taxes, our, our punishing uh, carbon tax in particular, uh, and, and just a prime minister who doesn't come across as serious. Mm -hmm. And you are in politics since so many years. You saw under Harper government, now you saw Trudeau, and maybe now we will see under Polyev government. And his father. In and fact, his father. I was a kid when my dad was in parliament, but you know, I think Justin Trudeau has, uh, in fact, surpassed his father in terms of the division and the derision and the anger and the destructive policies and the diminishing of Canada's reputation. I think he's outdone his father in terms of the damage that he has inflicted on Canadians. You know what? It's good to be back at the Conservative Party convention talking to various MPs and other party elders. There were a few cowardly Conservatives who ran away from Alexa. They didn't want to talk to Rebel News. But as I said to Alexa, that uh, should be a feather in her cap because I like it when politicians are a little bit scared of rebel news, because that means we've got tough questions for them that they don't expect from the rest of the media. And I think Alexa's doing a great job, don't you? Anyways, um, so coming home from that convention, you can imagine you have hundreds, actually over a thousand conservatives at that convention, and then they go home. So uh, airlines sometimes add another flight. And that was the case coming home from the convention. There was an extra WestJet flight that was almost all, not completely all, but overwhelmingly conservative party delegates that were coming home. And WestJet loved the business and it was sort of fun because it was, you know, if you've ever flown with a group of people, you know, it's a lot more fun. So just for a lark, uh, 
Pierre Pauly of the conservative leader made uh, a 45 second comment on the airplane's PA system. He uh, got permission in advance for it. He didn't just take the mic and talk. And remember, this is it wasn't quite a chartered flight, but it was an extra flight put on for conservative delegates. So people liked it. They got a real kick out of it. Here, it's just 45 seconds long. Take a listen. Hello, No big deal. Uh, and by the way, uh, politicians of every stripe do this all the time. Uh, here's Omar Al-Gabra, the uh, uh, transport minister, doing the same thing on some train. Remember this? Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Omar Al-Gabra. I am the federal minister of transport. Uh, bonjour tout le monde. Je m'appelle Omar Al-Gabra. Je suis ministre de transport. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, joining you here this afternoon today on Via. I'm on my way to Quebec City, via Montreal, where I will be making an exciting announcement where we are launching the procurement process for building a brand new dedicated line for a high-frequency rail that will connect Quebec City through Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. It will increase the speed of up to 200 kilometers an hour and it will increase frequency for passengers like yourself and transform the connection between these cities. So I'm really excited about this announcement and it's a pleasure being on board with you today. I wish you a safe trip. Thank you for choosing Via. A bon voyage. Merci. Thank you. It's no big deal. He's a transport minister. You listen to him for a second and then you go back to things. Justin Trudeau has done it too. Um, but oh my God, talk about a scandal. Uh, the union that claims to represent WestJet employees, uh, CUPE, I don't know what they're doing representing WestJet employees. That stands for uh, Canadian Union of Public Employees. These are WestJet uh, staffers. What's that got to do with CUPE? They made a huge fuss about it. Um, spoiler alert, uh, QP Alberta is run by Rachel Notley's husband, Rachel Notley, the former NDP premier. So this was just a political setup. I couldn't help but notice that WestJet's union, QP, that was going to the mattresses on this, that was so outraged by this, they were the same QP union that didn't bat an eyelash, did not oppose in any way the forced mandate that WestJet employees had to get the jab to be fired. So WestJet's useless union, CUPE, didn't lift a finger to protect their members from forced vaccinations. But boy, are they mad now because uh, the leader of the opposition had a 45-second joke on a special flight. That's just so gross. But listen, what are you going to do? It's an NDP union making a fuss. Really, who cares? But look at this grossness. This is from CTV News in Calgary. Our reporter, Tyson Fedor, 
is hoping to speak to non-delegates aboard the WestJet flight from Quebec City to Calgary that saw Pierre Polyev speak on the PA system. If you were, please email him at tyson.fedora at bellmedia.ca. Oh boy, this, I, I smell a Pulitzer Prize here, folks. I mean, this is investigative journalism at his best. They don't want to talk to you if you liked it. They don't want to talk to the vast majority of people on the plane who were conservative delegates. But if you were on that plane and weren't a conservative, CTV is pulling out all the stops. We've got to talk to you. We've got to keep this story going. But look, CTV is not really news. And that story that Tyson Fedora is working on, that's really not a news story. That's a grant application from CTV to Justin Trudeau for another bailout of the media. That's not news. CTV's viewers are not saying, yeah, I want to talk to someone who was on that plane and had to listen for 45 seconds to Pierre Polyev, but not someone who liked it. I want to find someone who didn't like it. That's really what this, I've waited, this is incredible news. I could hardly, no one's saying that. This is not being done for the viewers of CTV, of whom there are fewer and fewer every day. This is being done for one viewer. His name is Justin Trudeau. Um, I should tell you that CTV News is sort of a fake company. I mean, it's real, uh, but it's a hobby for its owner. CTV is owned by a massive, mighty legacy monopoly called BCE, which stands for Bell Canada. As you know, Bell used to be the telephone monopoly. Well, they're no longer a monopoly, but they're part of an oligopoly, a handful of highly regulated companies that just make billions of dollars because they're sort of like public utilities. They get all sorts of rules in their favor. It's one of the reasons why Canadians pay the highest cell phone prices in the world. Canadian cell phone bills are literally the highest in the world. We pay the most for data. We pay the most for roaming. We pay the most anywhere in the world because we have this oligopoly. And that's the business that BCE is in, Bell Canada. They have CTV news, but it doesn't make them any money. Uh, they, they don't even really care about it. This morning, I read Bell Canada's uh, quarterly report to shareholders, and I did a word search in there. CTV News isn't mentioned at all, actually. CTV is mentioned one time. The word CTV is mentioned one time in passing in a 60-page report to shareholders. It is irrelevant. Even the company doesn't care about it. They just laid off 1,300 staff on the TV and news side. They're, they're selling or literally shutting down nine radio stations. They don't care about the news at Bell Canada. The only thing they care about is where their money comes from, their cell phone and their cable monopoly, which is extremely carefully regulated by Trudeau's hand-picked CRTC. Um you know, so, so CTV News, even though it looks very fancy and very authoritative, it's not about the news and it's not even about making money. It's a kind of bargaining chip for Bell's core business, which is cell phone rates and cable rates, because they are regulated by Trudeau and Trudeau gives Bell Canada a sweetheart deal. So understand this, CTV News does not make money. CTV News is not real news. CTV News is Bell Canada's way of sucking up to Trudeau so that their real business is charging extortionate cable and cell phones can continue to flow. That's if you if you look at CTV News through that lens, it all starts to make sense. So don't look at 
Tyson Fedor and this fake story about, were you on the airplane and upset? Don't look at it as a real news company. That's not how they see themselves. They're fluffers for Justin Trudeau. That's the errand that Tyson Fedor is on. And it's just one more reason that you should despise the regime media and never trust them. Stay with us. Our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed is next. Well, we're in the home stretch now. We've been out of the country for about 10 and a half days, if my math is right. An interesting trip following the Abraham Accords. We started in Israel, toured around that country, met with some of the architects of that International Peace Treaty, and then we came here to the United Arab Emirates. We're standing in Dubai today, but earlier we were in Abu Dhabi, the capital city, where we saw some amazing things. And my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed was with us the whole time, as well as David Menzies, Avi Yamini, and others. Uh, it was really fun. It was really educational. And of course, we brought along about 40 of our most enthusiastic rebel viewers. And so we traveled around in a big tour bus and we heard these speakers and we saw these sites together. Now, we're all headed home now. And uh, but we've seen some interesting things. I want to talk about Sheila about it. Sheila, great to see you. Thanks for giving up 10 days away from home, away from your family to hang out with uh, me and the 40 rebels. I would have missed it for anything. Well, it was very interesting. You've come to Israel before, but this is the, your first time you've been to the United Arab Emirates. And it's a dictatorship. It's a benign dictatorship. It reminds me a bit of Singapore and how Hong Kong used to be. Law, you know, there's the rule of law. In fact, some parts of the UAE, they use the British legal system. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons why United Arab Emirates is succeeding economically is they have adopted many Western norms, but at the end of the day, it is a dictatorship, but it is a dictatorship that has decided to modernize, become progressive, and to make peace with an eternal enemy, the Jewish state. What did you think about what we saw here in the UAE? You know, I had lots of opinions about the things that I saw, but even this hotel itself where we're staying, it serves kosher food, and the hotel manager is a Palestinian Christian from Bethlehem, a woman who's in charge of this hotel. And it's like this hotel itself is a microcosm of the success of the Abraham Accords. Um, today, we went to see the Abrahamic Friendship Center. I think we've all called it a different name the entire time that we were here. But as, as everyone was sort of poking around, we had some free time. I ran back to the Catholic Church just to have a few minutes alone. And as I was sitting there with my rosary beads in my hand, a couple came in in Islamic garb, the woman in full black, the man in all white, everybody's covered up. And they stood there in front of the altar looking at the Virgin Mary. And I would like it. it's an image that I saw that I thought I would never see in my lifetime. It was almost disorienting how strange it was. But apparently it's quite normal now these days here in in Dubai, and it is directly related to Prime Minister or Prime Minister Trump, President Trump's philosophy that so much of the economic ties with the Middle East, with the United States, must go through Jerusalem. You know, it, it was amazing. United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, Kosovo. These are Muslim countries that have decided to make peace. Donald Trump deserved a Nobel Peace Prize, but of course, they're too political to give it to him. But it was quite something to see. And 
you know, this Abraham Family Center, Friendship Center, I, I keep forgetting what it's exactly called. It's enormous. It is absolutely gorgeous. But one thing that I notice is it's high security. You have to go through airport-style security to get in there. There's security guards, security cameras. And our tour guide said, please don't film me. And I thought, a lot of people are really pleased with what United Arab Emirates is doing, but there are a lot of people who must hate it, who must want to destroy it, sabotage it, maybe even, God forbid, assassinate the leader of this country. Because if you are such a prominent, like everyone in the world has heard about Dubai. And everyone has heard that it's exciting and it's a land of the future and success. And it, and it really is a, a, a wonderful experiment gone right. And a lot of people would say, I don't want them to normalize the Jewish state. I don't want them to set an example of peace and friendship. We must stop this. So we're excited to see it. I mean, to see a Jewish synagogue in a Muslim country is just astounding. It can't be easy for a Muslim leader to do this. I don't think it is. And I think that it, Dubai itself dispels the idea that um, that the Muslim culture is incompatible with uh, prosperity and business and human rights. Um, you know, as I said, the, the uh, hotel manager here is a woman. As a woman, I never, you know, felt threatened out on the street. I was out pretty late last night just wandering around because that was the only time that it was cool enough to go out. I, I didn't have to be all covered up. I only had to be covered up when I went to the mosque today. Um, and so for other Muslim leaders of the world that are poor, impoverished, um, and are spending all their money on terrorism and oppressing their people, Dubai shows that there's another way forward while maintaining Muslim culture. Yeah, it's very interesting. Perhaps the most astonishing thing I saw in our UAE um, few days was a Holocaust museum. Now, we went to the world's largest Holocaust museum in Israel called Yad Vashem. Obviously, this one in Dubai was sort of mini, but it was a real thing, and it was official, and it was proud, and it had the blessing of the government, and it was it was just new. So, I, I mean, obviously, it's not going to be massive and mighty, but to but for a Muslim country to say not only are we not anti-Semites, not only are we not Holocaust deniers, we are going to explain and lament the Holocaust and teach foreign and domestic people alike. And we're good. And it was, but that is stunning to me that a Muslim man in a Muslim country would set up a museum about the Holocaust to, to teach the truth and the lessons of it. Unbelievable to me. That place blew my mind. It was the Museum of the Crossroads of Civilization. And it, it's a private museum. The things we saw there, and as a Christian, seeing a pre-schism Bible, that's something I could only imagine seeing. That would be behind the walls somewhere in the Vatican, hidden away from uh, the eyes of the public forever, just because it's so important. And he had it there. And he also had an entire section dedicated to reminding Muslims that the Jews have also always been in Israel. He made it a very a very strong point that the Jews have all, always been there. Arabs are also there too. And it wasn't always so contentious as it is now. And I, I just thought it was fascinating and wonderful, his dedication to uh, telling stories that we don't hear. I was talking to Kian Simone behind the camera. The amount of 
uh, stories that he had of Arabs who risked everything to save Christians and to save Jews during the Holocaust blew me away. But, you know, like he really was committed to telling those stories because we don't hear about that in school at all. You know, a couple of days ago, I, I talked with Joel Pollack about the, some of the things we had seen, and we were standing in front of a mosque. And I didn't feel threatened by it. I didn't feel hated by it. In fact, for the first time in my life, I felt curious mm -hmm. and appreciative of the ornate architecture. And be, because the, the antagonism, the psychological antagonism is being removed. We were walking on as a group to the Burj Khalifa, that's the tallest building in the world. You can't go to Dubai without seeing that. And we were in the mall. The Burj Khalifa is uh, rooted in a large shopping mall. And so we were walking sort of all 40 plus of us through the mall. And by the way, most people in Dubai are not Emirati citizens. They're foreign workers, whether they're from London or America or whether they're uh, more blue collar workers, often from India, Pakistan, Thailand, Philippines, whatever. So one fella comes up to me and says, who are you, who are you in this march? And, and I told him, I said, we're from Canada. And we're, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, we're here to look at the Abraham Accords, peace between Israel and the United States. Like I just, in very plain language, I answered him. And he sort of walked alongside, and he's from Pakistan, which is not a particularly pro-Jewish country. Mm -hmm. and, and he was asking questions and he didn't have really anything. He was just listening, listening, listening. And this idea, he, you could see he was sort of osmosing it because United Emirates, if, if, if the vast majority of people here from other places, they're here under sort of a bargain. The bargain is get with the Sheik's program, get with the Emir's program, and build a new society that is not hateful, not terroristic, that is open to all. There are some rules for sure. sure. You know, um, I mean, don't violate those rules. Don't there. I, I learned on our way in, if you have a, if your gender is X on your passport, you ain't getting into UAH. Do you know, I scarcely, I, I think I saw one cop the whole time that we were here. I was sort of looking to see like, what is the police presence? And I saw one and he wasn't doing policing. He was helping a car broken down on the side of the road. I saw that guy too. And you're so right. But everyone here knows they're part of a great experiment and it's part of a bargain. So that. I'm. I guess I'm prejudging that guy from Pakistan, but I'm guessing if I were in Pakistan with 40 pro-Israel people, he might have had something different to say. But here in Dubai, he knows that's this is the kind of place where you have to accept other people, and I think that they this is a crucible. I think they're inventing something new here, mm -hmm. and I think it's actually wonderful. And as a Jew, it is such a feeling of healing to go to a Muslim country and to be welcomed. And we, we had dinner with uh, a Chabad rabbi. Chabad rabbis are very observant Jews, and they go to far-flung places in the world um, to serve remote communities. I mean, they're, they're Chabad synagogues in New York and Chicago, but they're also, you know, in the Arctic or, or in Africa. So um, he said, and I absolutely believe him, he said he has never once, and he's visibly Jewish because he's got the yarmulke and he dresses a certain way, he says, never once in all his time in Dubai, and I think he said he's been here for five or six years or something, never once has he had an anti-Semitic action or comment. But he said when he goes back to New York, he does. People shout at him. Like, there is anti-Semitism. I mean, look, I'll tell you one thing. You don't walk around with a yarmulke in, in, at night in parts of Paris, I'll tell you that. And yet here in this Muslim country called uh, Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, 
He said he's had no problems. Look, I'll put it to you this way. There are places in Israel that Jews can't go, um, where they don't permit themselves to go, just the interest in the interest of anti-incitement. You know, like the Temple Mount. When we were on the Temple Mount, the religious Jews and the secular Jews needed a police escort. Um, and those were Israeli police escort. And it wasn't to, to stop them from, you know, being attacked. It was to prevent them from praying because praying might incite people to inspire violence against them. So, uh, you know, for him to say that I've never felt an anti-Semitic moment here, that that's much different than it is even in parts of Israel and in places controlled by the Palestinians. But Kian and I, you know, like I wondered, where did all these Filipinos go to church? Um, because the Philippines is a very Catholic country. There's Filipino foreign workers all over the place here. And so I Googled Catholic church near me. There's a ton of Catholic churches here, well-established Catholic churches. Um, so this really is a place of pluralism. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, we've had an interesting time for sure. I, uh, I was away for a long time. We were all away for a long time, and that's a little bit hard to bear when, when we've got stuff cooking back home. So I'm grateful for the team back home. For example, the team that was covering the Tamara Leach trial all week when we were here, the timing was just coincidental that literally the first day of the trial was the day we left on the strip. But I feel like it's been in good hands with Robert Krejcik and Lincoln Jay. Uh, by the way, when we come back to town, boy, there's a lot of stuff cooking. Monday, I'll be in Lethbridge for Arthur Pavlovsky's sentencing. Tuesday, I'll be in Calgary on the Calgary Police Service matter I mentioned the other day. Wednesday, Derek Reimer's prosecution begins in Calgary. He's the Christian pastor who was arrested uh, for protesting peacefully outside of Drag Queen Story Hour. Thursday, I'm on trial again in Toronto for my book, The Labranos. Elections Canada and I are tussling in court. So it just does not end. I'm coming back to a very busy week. Thank you for your support. If you want to hang out with us, and I think it was fun. So much fun. Um, we're doing a trip in March, which is not that far away. It's just six months from now. We're setting sail out of Fort Lauderdale for a one-week tour of the Caribbean. Uh, we're going to the Bahamas, Cayman Islands, Cozumel, uh, Jamaica, uh, Cozumel, Mexico, and Ocho Rios, uh, Jamaica, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's just Ocho Rios. Um, and it's not as far, it's not as hard to get to Fort Lauderdale as it is to get to Israel, Dubai. It's a, you know, three-hour flight from Toronto, four-hour flight from Calgary. Uh, it's it's less expensive, obviously, than this, and it's a less, it's it's not as long. So, and, oh, and Tamara Leach coming, so you got to be there. Go to Rebel News Cruise. Dot com. It's fun. I need a vacation from this trip, uh, but we'll see you there if you can make it. That's our story for today, Sheila. Great to see you. Thanks, boss. From uh, here in Dubai to you at home, on behalf of all of us at Rebel News, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.